0: And welcome to The Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 135 of The Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we're going to welcome back former Walt Disney Imagineer Theron Skis to talk about another subject relating to another area of Disney where Theron has done quite a lot of work, and that is Disney Cruise Line. Theron has had a number of different roles at Walt Disney Imagineering, in case you've listened back to previous episodes of the show where we've had him as a guest. And one of those roles was the portfolio creative executive for Disney Cruise Line, a role where he had oversight of the existing fleet of ships, the Disney Magic, Disney Wonder, Disney Dream, and Disney Fantasy. And he also had the oversight of the work that was done on... Disney Cruise Line's newest ship, the Disney Wish, which is setting sail this summer of 2022. So in this podcast episode, I chat with Theron about his work on Disney Cruise Line and more specifically the efforts in helping to design the Disney Wish and some things that you can look forward to when you set sail with Disney Wish this summer or any other time you set sail with Disney Cruise Line. We talk a little bit about some of the attractions and dining experiences experiences, entertainments, staterooms, and so much more. Before we kick off this episode, as always, I want to give a special thanks to our sponsor and partner, WDW Magazine. You can learn more about WDW Magazine by clicking on the link in the show notes below or heading to ImagineerPodcast.com. We've got a link there. Or just go to WDWMagazine.com, where you can read articles about Walt Disney World. And those include articles written by yours truly. I write an Imagineering column for this magazine. Scene. at the end of the episode we'll come back and i'll tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show so grab some headphones pull up your favorite armchair and enjoy this episode of the imagineer podcast Imagineer Podcast, we've had the opportunity to chat about so many projects across Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and select attractions around the globe. But one property we have yet to discuss, but will rectify today, is Disney Cruise Line. Since 1995, Disney Cruise Line has been the premier cruise line for families, Disney fans, and cruisers of all ages, combining world-class Disney service, entertainment, dining, amenities, and of course, Imagineering Design, to transport guests to ports of call around the globe. Today, Disney Cruise Line's fleet consists of four ships, the Disney Wonder, Disney Magic, Disney Dream, and Disney Fantasy with the fifth ship, Disney Wish, setting sail this summer on its inaugural cruise. So my guest on today's episode is former Walt Disney Imagineer Theron Skies. As the vice president and portfolio creative executive for Disney Cruise Line, Theron maintained creative oversight of Disney's existing fleet of four ships, as well as the design and construction of the Disney Wish. In previous roles, Theron also developed such projects as Disney Springs, including Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, the expansion of Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, the upgrade of Tower of Terror at Walt Disney World, and much more, all of which you can learn more about in previous episodes of Imagineer Podcast. Needless to say, this is probably the longest introduction I've ever done for a guest, but I'm very <laughs> excited to chat about Disney Cruise Line, and welcome back, Theron Darren Skies. Theron, Darren, welcome back to Imagineer Podcast.
1: Thanks, Matt. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining. I've been really looking forward to this because um, I'm a huge cruise fan, and the opportunity to work on Disney Cruise Line was a kind of a once in a lifetime dream to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm really excited for this. Absolutely.
0: I'm excited as well. For those listening to the podcast, this is a live discussion too. So we're getting questions from viewers who are watching on Facebook and YouTube. I would encourage you if you're not following Imagineer podcast in those places, but listening to this podcast episode to go back and make sure you're following there so you are able to participate in live discussions like these in the future. So we're going to get to any questions you all have. Feel free, as I mentioned, to leave them in the comments. But I came prepared with questions of my own as well because I had So many questions, you know, Disney Cruise Line is a topic I haven't discussed yet on the show, and there's so much to uncover. So I want to start just by discussing Disney Cruise Line as a whole. How does, in your experience, Theron, Disney think about the cruise experience relative to both other cruise offerings that are out there and also relative to other Disney Park experiences?
1: Well, I think you nailed it on the head, actually, in your question is that other cruise lines don't have the advantage of hotels and theme parks and a really deep portfolio of intellectual property and storylines to play with. They also don't have, many of them, a very rich history of entertaining guests and the the type of brand that builds that equity with families, the feeling of safety and trust and so I think, in a sense, it it made perfect sense for Disney to move into the cruise industry uh, because it the, the the brand just kind of begged for it. Um, what is I find very fascinating about a cruise vacation that's very different than a vacation a vacation to one of our uh, one of Disney's parks is that. Typically, when you're going, say, I live in Orlando. So typically in Walt Disney World, a family would come in and they're booking, I don't know, a week, maybe two weeks worth of time. And I know you've done this before, Matt, uh, as well. You're, you know, you're getting your fast passes, your dining reservations, and you're, you're here and they're there and you're Epcot and the studios and Magic Kingdom. And as fun as it is, it can be exhausting because you're, it's so big, you're trying to do so much. And what I've heard back from guests uh, when I worked on the cruise line, uh, Disney Cruise guests, is it it is so relaxing to be immersed in the brand for a substantial amount of time, right? We I used to always tell my team nobody goes to Space Mountain and stays there for seven days, right? right. But we have there are plenty of cruises that are seven day cruises, and and uh, you immerse yourself in that brand for that period of time. And it's a really different experience. That's a that's a great way to to think about
0: it. And we're gonna, of course, get more specific about the ways that Disney thinks about the cruise experience, and uh, and some of the projects that you worked on specifically within Disney Cruise Line. And we should probably start by discussing your role. And I like to frame the conversation in that way. You have a title that I have asked other Imagineers about. Yours is a double title though, so it's a little different, which is why I do want to start here and also get some of your thoughts about this. So your your role, your title for Disney Cruise Line was the Vice President and Portfolio Creative Executive for Disney Cruise Line. In a nutshell, what does that mean? <laughs> what was your role? Um, what does a Vice President or Portfolio Creative Executive of Disney Cruise Line do?
1: That's a great question. What's interesting is if you were to look at the <clears throat> look at my business card, it didn't say vice president. It just said creative portfolio executive. Um, and what I th- find interesting is with that is that worked really good in the Disney bubble. But when you're working with vendors and you hand that to them, they say portfolio can you tell me about these stocks? Because you know, uh, <laughs> should I go to bonds or should I stay with securities? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Portfolio is you know, and you end up explaining yourself. So um, now that I'm I'm no longer with Disney, I run my own business. Um, you can see that you needed to put the the term vice president in front of that because it uh, others begin to understand that a lot easier. So right. i I started the role in 2016 i had literally just come off of disney springs and um was really honored to be able to take that kind of a role and a portfolio executive in imagineering terms was literally you think about it as as walt disney world as a portfolio you think of um uh Euro Disneyland, right? Disneyland Paris as a portfolio. You think of Asia as a portfolio, et cetera. So um, the way that Imagineering set it up was that there was a senior executive uh, creative individual who was uh, kind of oversaw that, was the key partner with the operational leaders, and then, of course, there was so if I was uh, creative, there was also a delivery senior executive. And in a sense, we were kind of like that little two-headed monster there. Um, and in a sense, we partnered daily with the uh, the leader of the operation. So we worked directly with the president of the cruise line, of which there were four <laughs> during my time there. Um, a, a bit of a rotating door there, as um chapek took over and and some some other changes happen which as you could imagine makes design quite difficult uh when the leader is is changing like that but that's that's basically what the role was overseeing all creative uh and partnering very closely with the operations team so at the time there were the existing fleet of four ships um we were initially going to be designing two new ships so it was on the same type of schedule as the dream and the fantasy and then sometime after i started i think it was within the first year um it was surprise uh we're gonna do three ships so (laughs) uh the 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 interesting thing about ship design is you you do the, the the design of the all the decks and all of the different rooms, if you will, it's called a GA, a general arrangement. You do that once, and then that lasts for all three ships. And then you have to make some very specific decisions about a lot of the public areas that are the same for all three ships. So um, not only were was I in, in charge of the existing fleet, that was anything new that was done, and every year we had a ship in dry dock. Uh, the three new ships, uh, Castaway Key. but we also, and, and I... I don't know too many people who could say this in their career. So I really have fun saying it. Disney purchased another Island destination uh, in that time. So we got to master plan and, and dream about what that would be uh, as well in the Bahamas.
0: Which is so cool. And uh, that's something we're going to definitely have to talk about as well. Um, you know, cause you're not only talking about designing experiences for the ship, but also then the, the, you know port of call um, whether it's uh, you know anything that well in, in this case anything that that Disney directly purchased or or has the rights to uh, the, to use the land um, you know there's we, we kind of touched on this a little bit and this was a question that was sent in previously before we started this live event so I did want to make sure to bring up some of these previously submitted questions as well Great. how does designing a cruise line differ from designing a theme park and i feel like we've touched on this a little bit in previous episodes of the show but i am curious to get your your thoughts here
1: i'm so glad actually that that question came up because it's a it's a pretty big difference if you think of a the obvious things the obvious differences is a theme park involves a lot of outdoor spaces and a theme park itself a disney theme park is connected by story. That's what makes it a theme park. If right. it's a collection of experiences, uh, entertainment, ride-based, you know, et cetera, um, and those experiences aren't linked in any kind of way, that's an amusement park. Um, amusement parks like to call themselves theme parks because you get more, uh, you, you get more customers, but the reality is the theme park is under a general story and all of the experiences that you have are linked They're choreographed. And, and a part of that choreography of that experience for the guest involves a lot of outdoor spaces. And what's really fun about that medium of storytelling is you have some very, very large, large spaces to play with. And, and you can tell some really great stories without kind of any hindrances, right? It's huge. The exact opposite is true on the ship. Um, it is all about interior spaces. And um, even though there are some spectacular interior spaces and, you know, you have multiple decks that are open, like uh, the Disney Atrium and things, it's primarily interior spaces. So you really have to adjust from a design perspective, you have to adjust the way that you think about moving people through the space. That might have been a bit of a downer for some (laughs) of your audience members, because we always, you know, as Imagineers, Imagineers always talk about story and place and experience and magic. And even though that's super important to Imagineers, there's a lot of practical things about design that is as a, Important as those, and that is moving people through a space. If you don't have a, a space wide enough for double strollers, right? It you know somebody's gonna not be happy. Uh, Got to have a space for fire trucks, etc. So it's a it is a totally different mindset uh, from a space design perspective when you when you do that on a ship. So that's one. Two storytelling is basically the same. Uh, imagineers take a, a very very similar approach as to what is done on land but um one thing i mentioned in my earlier answer was nobody s- stays in space mountain for seven days and the idea <laughs> is is that the ships it, themselves get a lot of scrutiny just because you're living on board and you you're excited as a guest to explore every single you know corner of the ship and and that that adds a lot of scrutiny to every single square inch.
0: Yeah, it really does. And uh, is worth mentioning that point or, or kind of hitting on that point that you, you don't live in Space Mountain for seven days, but you are going to be <laughs> really living in the ship for a while. So I know in that previous conversation, we talked about making sure that you're not that you, you can enjoy and be immersed in the story and have these entertaining experiences, but you also need time to be able to say, "I need to to step away," and even beyond just going back to your stateroom, be in a space where you aren't necessarily being thrown into a story, um, a story, right. you know, still a story-driven environment, but um, more of a passive story-driven environment for for that period of time. Um, because you did bring up space, this was a question that I had thought of and I am curious. I think a lot of people might be uh, you know interested in hearing the same thing. There are different size cruise ships with Disney Cruise Line and with other cruises. And then even if you look at a Disney Cruise Line ship, the Disney Magic or the Disney Wonder next to a competing cruise line ship, there's there's so many different potential sizes for something like this. And I suppose it's similar to thinking about how you would design a hotel and the number of hotel rooms that there would be. Do you, in terms of the approach to designing a cruise ship, do you start with, okay, this is the size of the ship that we're working with. And here's what we can pack into this space. Or do you flip that model and start with all the experiences that you, and amenities and and number of staterooms that you want in the cruise ship and then build the size of the ship
1: around those experiences? That's a great question. I think one thing that's so unique about Disney Cruise Line and anyone that's cruised on other vessels with other cruise lines and you're in a port somewhere in the world in a disney cruise line the ship shows up i mean it's it's completely different than any other ship it really is everybody rushes to the edges of the ships and to see the 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 disney cruise ship pull into port and um that's because disney looks at the whole ship as a brand statement um it's it's meant to evoke the sort of golden age of of ocean travel, right? That's why it's designed the way that it is. That big, um, you know, bow that sticks out front, that's very kind of pointy, in the back that's really roundy. You know, that very specific design is only about design. Um, the reason you see other ships that have a blunt nose and a blunt, you know, stern is because you can squeeze much more square footage into that. Right. That's why they look like refrigerators floating on the water is because right. <laughs> they, they are maximizing the space in a sense. Disney, of course, wants to maximize the space. But the brand, the look, the feel, the shape, the story that is communicated just from the visual aspect of looking at the ship is way more important to the Disney brand than gaining another hundred thousand square feet. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because I think that's really important. That's where you start with Um that's both exciting and fun as a as a design executive, but it also creates a lot of challenges because Disney as a business is no different than other cruise lines. They want as much as you can possibly get on the ship, but they know that they're bracketed in by those brand constraints with regard to the design. So we had to be extremely um, uh, innovative in the way that we thought about uh, space design. Um And to answer your question, I think if you would think about it, I think we've talked about this before, the approach to building uh, a theme park or an attraction or a land, um, there are uh, brand requirements there are um, storytelling you know requirements that are that are a part of that but also sorry to disappoint anybody that hasn't thought of this there's very specific business requirements for that as well we have to move this many people we need a restaurant to handle this many people we need you know retail etc it's a business at the end of the day and it's no different with the with the ship Um, there's a very specific amount of passengers that need to be carried and that dictates um all of the other spaces uh on the ship and it's um if you don't mind i'll just uh, at the risk of talking too much (laughs) no this is great keep going (laughs) I'll, I'll, i'll go i'll go one one more which uh you kind of hinted at in your question i think your audience might find this interesting um you know we the disney cruise line started with the magic and the wonder uh those are quite a bit smaller ships. Um, I'm gonna sure get the capacities wrong. It's been so many, uh, quite a few years now. Um, I think those are a little more than 2,000. Then you move into, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, 4,000. Then you move into uh, fantasy and dream, that's like Um, 6,000. No, I'm getting that wrong. We'll, we'll look me. up the data after and plug it For, into the, me. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the the two um, classic ships, as they're called, have a quite a bit. I think it's around two thousand. Quite a bit smaller capacity. Dream and fantasy up the capacity by quite a few tons, and I believe are into the four thousand range. And um, uh, north of three, and and all of the new ships will be in that range as well. They're around four thousand, I believe. And what's interesting is the feedback that you get from a lot of guests is that they, some guests don't like to sail on the dream and the fantasy because they think it's too big and they like the intimacy of the smaller vessels, um, which I find very fascinating because most of the industry was all about bigger, you know, oasis of the seas, 6,000 plus people. And so uh, it's an interesting trend uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. There is a few things to extract from this and I want to go back to the point about the it just slipped the top of my head. So I'm going to go to another point, I'm going to pivot. Jason, there was two things I wanted to go with and I totally forgot one of the one of the <laughs> questions I was going with. Um, Jason has submitted a question which I'm I'm going to Add to this as well. So he asked, what do you consider to be the most magical about Disney Cruise Line, the most magical thing about Disney Cruise Line? And I imagine part of that is the Disney name, of course, being associated with that. And you can see the characters on board. But going a a layer deeper, what do you consider to be the most magical about Disney Cruise Line? Or maybe even, you know, going back to our first question, what are the specific things that make a Disney Cruise
1: different? Wow. We could probably take the rest of the show just talking about that, um, but I, I I'll be focused here. <laughs> I think Disney Cruise Line is really caters very, very well to Disney fans, and and uh, I mean there, it caters to everybody, um, even adults without children sail on Disney Cruise Line because it's a really great experience. The food is very, very good. The entertainment, very, very good. The uh, retail, the service is second to none in the industry. The service, and and I know I benchmarked every single cruise line, um, eight different sailings in every single region of the world before we started Design on the Wish, just to understand what was out there. So the experience is is fantastic. But when you think about fans disney fans people who really love the brand when you're in a theme park a land based experience you're literally going from place to place to pl- as i mentioned before the pace is very different not that it's bad it's just very different um the service you get because of that because you're not in a place for very long the service is, is good it's you know should be it's disney service but it's not like you get on the ship so for me if you if you take your disney glasses off for just a second and you think about it in terms of the of the industry the industry of themed entertainment design is about really two things escapism and play right play as a group is so important as a human being and escapism is massively important. You know, uh, the world and our individual lives is often a place that we need to escape from to get a break from. When you do that in the parks, it's you get the escapism, you get the play, you get the fun, you get the fantasy, but there's a pace to it. You don't have that on the cruise line. And instead, you get this more fully immersive, completely encompassing all Disney, all the time kind of experience. And that doesn't mean Donald Duck dancing in your face. It doesn't mean that. It means all of the great things that you love about Disney is like on steroids. It's magnified. The service is amazing. You build really great relationships with all of the crew members on board. You get so much more intimate time with experiences on board with characters, with your family, with a group. So it's it's kind of like escapism in play, but really maximized to the best possible level.
0: That's a great way of putting it. And it uh you you should be a salesperson for Disney Cruise Line in addition to doing the <laughs> Imagineering because you sold me on that for sure. Um, Christina sent in by the way. This is what's great about going live—you have people fact checking for you. So Christina awesome. said that according to the Disney Cruise Line news site, the Dream has a four thousand guest capacity and fourteen fifty eight crew. Okay, so. I
1: got there eventually. Thank you very much for the <laughs> assistance.
0: <laughs> it uh, hey, it's I I, I you know. I'm a Disney fan and I, I pride myself on knowing a lot of facts and statistics and, you know, <laughs> half the time, even in a podcast episode, I totally misquote something. So, but you did, you did get there. It's um, nice to know
1: that we're human. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true. Um, the uh, actually great question from Alan, you and I talked a little bit about the, in the beginning before we started, you know, before we hit the live button, before we started uh, officially recording this episode, a little bit about, um, you know, seasickness and, you um, so that's one of the reasons why I haven't cruised yet, but I think there you kind of convinced me I need to. Um, <laughs> and others have convinced me as well. But Alan asked specifically about the, um, the stability of the larger ships with regards to rocking motion. and I'm gonna I'm gonna again dive a little bit deeper into this question as well. So um, you know, so are the larger ships, steadier. And I, I think in general, they probably have less motion than the, you know, a smaller boat, a little, little boat in the water is going to be a lot more, more rocky. And so the larger ships probably have more, but what else does Disney do to, from an imagineering perspective or from a design perspective to ensure a smooth sailing experience for
1: um, guests on board to the best of their ability? <laughs> sure. And that, and I'm glad you added that because I think any, um, any ship um, you, when you're having experience cruising, um you're contending with a natural source right and even the captain of the vessel you know she may not she may be the best possible captain uh of her age of her time but there's just only so much you can do when the wind and the waves act a certain way so that said that aside um you're right that the larger ships have additional stability Um, Some of that, and I'm not a nautical architect, I just play one on TV, so (laughs) um, uh, the larger ships, uh, because of their weight, have a a sense of stability, and uh, they're not uh, moved as much by smaller, uh, or by waves, uh, let's say it that way. Um, But there's also something that you may not have thought of. uh, Within the Disney fleet, the original ships, the Magic and the Wonder... Um, When those ships were built, the technology that goes into stabilizing vessels uh, wasn't as perfected as it is today. Um, So on the newer vessels, you get a lot of um, stability uh, uh, engineering, if you will, that's built in. Even the hull shape, hull design, um, the – not to get too detailed, but the magic and the wonder – are exactly what you would expect. There's a, a long shaft and a propeller, or sorry, a screw at the end of it, and that's what turns and that's what propels the ship. Um, and that's d- propelled ships for 100 years or something. But with the moving and everything, those things sometimes um, vibrate and they create vibration in the ship. Um, the newer vessels don't. They actually have what is like an outboard motor. Uh, that sticks out of, sorry, here we go, sticks out of the bottom of the the hull and actually turns and has uh, the screws built into them. Uh, so very much like your um, you know ski boat or whatever, very, very interesting stuff. So um, the, the ship is very, very stable. Um, the other thing is, last comment, is that the technology on board the ship can do so much, can see so far with radar, Um, that they do a really good job predicting where things are coming and they can actually change course to avoid uh, choppier weather and that kind of thing. So (laughs) quite a few ways there. Yeah, that's that's
0: great. I, I love that there are so many different ways, and I know that the technology is going to continue to improve over time. It's same thing with air travel. You design airlines and uh, not airlines aircraft to better navigate air, air turbulence and be able to detect weather and have more stability in the design of the of the actual craft. It's a very similar philosophy that's involved there. I did remember the question I wanted to go back to. Sometimes it takes a while. Dad brain is a real thing for me these days. I used to be much more quick on my feet, and now it's a little harder for me to get to that question I was thinking of. So the I think it came up from the idea of magic. You know, There's all these great names of the ships, and they're so simple, and they're so profound. There's the Disney Magic, Disney the Wonder, Disney the Fantasy, Disney the Dream, and now Disney the Wish. How does the Imagineering team work through the process of deciding on a name and does it, it's almost like writing a title of a book. Like, do you start with the title of the book or do you write the book and then decide what the title is? So how do you, you know, at what stage in the process do you decide, okay,
1: this is the Disney wish? Well, I I know that the, if you think of Disney Cruise Line being around for over 20 years, the history of naming the vessels and creating the styling and the brand kind of look of the vessels, as we talked about um, to make it uniquely Disney, you would want to name them alongside all of the, the, the brand identity that you would imagine with Disney. So if you, when you start to mention those words, dream fantasy, wish, you know, magic, uh, wonder, all of those things uniquely associate um, your experience as a guest with a Disney product. Uh, so I think that that from a marketing perspective is really important, but also from a storytelling perspective is really, really important. Um, one of the things that we did in 16, 2016, when we were concepting the new ships, and I believe this has been released, if not uh, the 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 lawyers will give me a call, but the uh, our approach to naming and designing the three new ships was um, an evolution from what began. Uh, what began was if you go to the fantasy, which was the the new the, the the last ship that was released. There's a name of the vessel, fantasy. There's a a stern character. Um, don't ask me to remember what it was. There's a Stern character. Christina, you have to get on that. And <laughs> in, the, in the lobby, there is a sculpture uh, inside uh, the lobby, uh, in the atrium rather, and then there's a design motif. And those are not always connected, well, the name, the everything. So what we decided to do, we pitched the idea to um, Iger that what if we connected all of those? What if the name the design motif of the ship the stern character and the sculpture in the atrium all tied in together and reinforced the theme that the name itself uh generated and um they loved the idea so that was the direction that we went so when you're on board the wish we took the idea of wish and completely unfolded that and built, we collected IP from all over the company that would fit within the idea of Wish. So everything on board really embodies the Disney brand idea of what Wish means. So if you're thinking in your head and you're thinking in ahead to the next couple of years, when the names of the other ships get released, you'll um, remember this podcast, I hope, and you'll think, wow. That means you changed some spaces on the subsequent two ships to accommodate the new names. And the answer would be yes, because we wanted each vessel to uniquely embody its own experiences. In fact, we can talk about this too, but we also, during the almost five years that I was there, when we went to the dry docks, we were replacing spaces with unique spaces so uh tiana's place for example on the wonder uh that's unique it doesn't exist anywhere else in the whole fleet it won't um unless somebody changes their mind but the original leadership everybody wanted to create unique experiences on each of the ships just like in our theme parks there's a big difference between epcot Animal Kingdom, the studios, and those differences, those unique stories and experiences drive guests to want to experience every single one of them. So our pitch to the company was, let's do this with the vessels. Not only do you have the magic that travels to Europe and you can go for those destinations, but there's also unique aspects of the magic that you can't get on any other ship. So I was really excited that our team was able to introduce this idea to the company and then follow through with it.
0: It's it's such a brilliant idea. Christina said Dumbo, by the way. So Christina came <laughs> in again with the, yes. with the right answer. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I love that. And this was a question that was submitted previously and one that I should get to as well. It, it kind of you know touches on the that last point that you made. There are you know. Th- th- Constantly Disney Cruise line is adding more ships and there's a pretty large pretty large gap, pretty large period of time between when these ships are created. And so you talk you talked a little bit about the the sort of the story driving, some of the the things that are unique that you might only be able to get on certain ships. but what you know, how does Imagineering decide, okay, these are the things that we should, Keep and replicate, and maybe it's you know some design changes here or there. But um, you know the 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 stateroom design, for instance, like the, this is something that we should keep the same, or we should alter it, or um, you know at the front of the ship we always have a you know th- a deck that faces this way, or you know is designed this way. Long story short, how do you decide what are the things that you're going to um, you know, sort of replicate and maybe make tweaks to versus the more substantial changes or additions that you're going to make to the fleet?
1: I, th- I think one of the overall unique and um, really positive aspects of the Disney company is that the, the process that you just mentioned is looked at through multiple filters, right? It's not just a business filter that says... You know, we need to make more money, so we need to change the space, or at right. least it never was. I can't vouch for the way it is today, so I'm sticking with what I know from um, my tradition with uh, with Imagineering and with Disney. So you you would you would evaluate a space based on what guests say about it. You know, guests are free to comment and, and guests do thousands of letters come into the company. Uh, and even as a, at Imagineering, I've gotten guest letters that have come to me when I'm in charge of a venue, whether that's the, Uh, at the time disney mgm studios or or um, hong kong you know a letter would come through and it would go to me you need to look at this you know so guests talk about it um creatively we might have a new technology we might have a new ip that we could explore that we think could be uh, even more relevant to guests or operationally functionally um you know you learn a lot about a space when you You know, you think so hard about it, you put all your heart and soul into making it beautiful and functional and, you know, memorable and relevant. But when you're open and you have a million guests or more go through, you learn a lot. And sometimes it requires tweaking. So I guess my answer would be, it's not just one person in a throne that, you know, slams their fist down and then you have to go make changes. Um, My experience was that it was evaluated from multiple aspects sometimes creatively we would come in with a with an idea functionally it may have worked perfectly it may have had the right capacity it may have been you know um uh, doing a lot to build brand equity uh guests may have really liked it but this idea is even more relevant is even better um and and vice versa you know maybe sometimes imagineering is called because gosh operationally it's just not efficient. We need to do something here. And then we're able to come in and solution something that, that works with the story or sometimes change the story to suit a better operational flow or something like that. It, the, the, the picture that I'm trying to paint is this idea that it's, it's unified. It's meshed together. You can't really do one without the other. A purely creative space with no thought for function is going to be horrible and and vice versa right a purely functional space without any thought for creativity is not is, it's going to be horrible so it's yeah. that it's that unique very very careful balance uh and on the ship it's harder than anywhere else any other venue to achieve that
0: yeah and that definitely answers my question it also touches into another question that i had which was about guest feedback because i i already knew the answer to that question i kind of <laughs> I, was, I was leading you into it because you and i have spoken before and i know how important guest feedback is to designing anything and um you know we talked about it a lot with disney the, the evolution or you know of or the transformation of downtown disney to, disney to disney springs and how much guest feedback was involved there and i <clears throat> i knew it'd be a very similar story here as Absolutely.
1: well
0: um the you know, there we were talking a little bit about the the design of the ship as a whole, and and one of the things I I definitely want to talk about specifically because I I feel like it again I haven't personally been on a cruise, but I feel like if if I were to go on a cruise, this would be the thing that I would think a lot about because it's how I also think about resort stays, and that is dining um you know what am i going to eat uh you know what are the different offerings and um you know sort of my my days if a, a resort days are often you know actually every day is kind of revolves around food for me um so how do you think about um you're in good company
1: how, <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> how does imagineering let's partner with um the culinary team on on thinking about dining both the you know the spaces that are that are going to be involved as well as the specific um, culinary offerings at those locations. Cause I feel like this is true for theme parks and Disney cruise line and Disney resorts in general. There has been this, this I feel increased partnership between Imagineering and the culinary team. If you just look at even um, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, or if you look yeah. at Pandora, the world of Avatar, or if you look at, you know, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, which is now a, a technically like a resort that has this really interesting and unique dining with out of this world, um, you know, food and drink and beverage options, uh, right. snack options. Um, you know, so how, how does Imagineering, how did you partner with, if you did, the culinary team to think about the spaces and the options that are available in those spaces?
1: That's a really great question. I should mention, uh, before I get into that level of detail, for uh, those audience members that have actually never sailed with Disney, there's uh, we, the Disney Cruise Line offers something that doesn't exist really on any other vessel with any other cruise line, and they call it rotational dining other cruise lines have tried it and they have not been successful at it what what makes it really unique for those of you who haven't been on it is that there is a uh, a dinner time and a and a live show a big broadway style performance and uh disney put it together as those were sort of the two big events of the night and it's in two different time slots there's an earlier Uh, dining time, which I believe is around like 545, something like that. Um, And families would uh, be assigned to a restaurant. And then um, those other guests, other passengers on board would, instead of dining at that particular time, they would go to the live performance first. And, uh, And that's the rotation. So when dinner was over, the show was over. Uh, it was baked in that that time to to have that occur, and then they literally flip flopped. Those that went to the entertainment, you know, the the show first ate uh, at a later time those that ate early go to the later show. There's a little bit of time in between, obviously. So this is really, really unique to Disney cruise line. And one of the things that that really does is it responds to the needs of families. Um, I have sailed on a lot of different cruise lines. And even though you look at the cruise lines and you say, wow, there's 25 restaurant selections. What they don't tell you is that if you don't reserve those in advance, there's a very good chance that you won't get in to eat. So my wife and I found ourselves going to two, three, four, five different restaurants trying to find a place to eat because they don't have capacity for 6,800 people on board and they expect a lot of people to do very casual dining and and then, but you, they, what happens is you have a lot of people that want to do formal, sit down, enjoyable dining. So it's a bit of a mess. So that's the uniqueness of Disney. But I, I should say, yes, there's an enormous amount of collaboration with the culinary team. Um, they do what they do expert, expertly, and the Imagineers do what they do expertly. And oftentimes, and the trend, um, certainly that that found its way onto the new ships, was to build some dining venues with entertainment right so if you if you remember um um the animation animators palette right you're on board and you have this amazing animation show going on crush the turtle comes and talks to you while you're dining i mean it's super cool well that idea of an entertainment dining experience was so popular that we obviously took that and moved that onto the new vessels as well in all new designs. So very different from what you'd find on other cruise lines.
0: It is very different. And you definitely brought up a couple of great points there. Um, question that came in specific for you personally. Um, of the dining options, what is your favorite? And I'll, I'll give you two options, your favorite Dining location. Um, so, like restaurant at on any of the ships, or if you have a favorite go to meal at that location or at another location.
1: Uh, when my children were young and we were sailing, we I would probably say animator's palette because it was amazing and the kids were so engaged. And when the fantasy and the dream came out, you um, the kids had a placemat and they could draw their character whatever they wanted on there and then they would turn that in and disney would turn that into an animated moving character your crayon drawing and there would be a big parade on the screens of all of the characters that the kids drew it was really really fun um now that my kids are all grown uh in fact i have a grandbaby being born this month believe it or not um congratulations thank you so much i think one of the areas that we love a lot is Palo's, but Palo's for brunch. Amazing, amazing experience. Incredible brunch. It's at the front of the ship, so you 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 see, you know, you have an incredibly good view. Um, I would say that, and, and I'm not giving you one, right? I'm, I'm giving you a variety. And then lastly, I would say Remy's uh, is absolutely amazing. That's a two-Michelin star chef chef. Um, and what you pay to eat there, you, you do have to pay an upcharge. I'm not sure what it is now. Um, I think it's $90, maybe something around there. But for a Michelin star, two Michelin star uh, experience and the, the entire thing is based on ratatouille. It's really amazing. I feel
0: like that would be my favorite place as well because I love Ratatouille <laughs> and I'm willing yeah. to pay extra for really good food. So I'm, I'd am i be all in for that experience. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk about one experience specifically. I feel like I've said that three times now. But uh, one, one experience specifically that's aboard the Disney Wish. And I feel like, you know, I I sense Disney Cruise Line heading more in this direction. You know, Disney's calling it the first ever Disney attraction at sea, which is the Aquamouse. Um, So, you know, how does your how did your team think about taking previous experiences on Disney Cruise Line and now delivering, you know, what's considered to be the first ever Disney attraction at sea? And I know you're not on the team anymore but where do you sense you know Disney might go next beyond that
1: well i one of the big things that um the company talked to me and our you know the initial team about was we really want to innovate um it's at the time it would have been 10 years between uh, fantasy and uh, the wish i think it was about 10 years so you know, in, in ship terms, that's a lifetime. So yeah. we, we were, our kind of mandate was how do we really move our own needle? How do we really innovate versus the existing fleet? How do we take the unique aspects of, of a Disney experience at sea, which is unique than other ships? The way guests move on board a Disney ship is very different than the way that they move on other ships. Um, and how do we innovate? Versus the industry, there was a lot of things going on in the industry, personal assistance, lots of technology, um, you know, opening doors with your smartphone, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. So we had a pretty big gauntlet that was laid in front of us to to really um find that innovation that that's kind of a disney heritage right and uh certainly that was true with the um classic ships it was certainly true with the disney and the fantasy uh, with the dream and the fantasy it will absolutely be that way with the wish and the uh, consecutive sister ships um attraction at sea i think that there had never been uh the technology available to really do that before um and when you think of the um, attractions, if you will, that are on the existing vessels, um, they're all about enjoying the outdoors. You know, the, the ship itself, as I mentioned, is mostly indoor venues. So when you take the aqueduct, for example, and you have those clear slides, it's, it's about recognizing I'm high up in the air and I'm above the ocean and I'm flying kind of in this, you know, um sun and fun and that in itself was really really cool and and nobody had really done that before they're all enclosed uh tubes so that was pretty brand new but i can tell you the aqua mouse is going to be amazing it's uniquely disney it's tied into as the name suggests um the core character of mickey And many and all of their friends, and I, I believe that it's going to blow people away. Um, What will come in the future uh, iterations on that? um, We'll have to see. We had a whole lot of ideas on the board, (laughs) so it just depends on on how all those come together, and it probably depends a lot on how well um, Aqua Mouse is received. Right?
0: I'm I'm sure it's going to be received very well, and just be the beginning of what is to come um you know one of these days we'll have a tower of terror on a disney cruise ship i don't think the (laughs) vessel could could survive the weight of that but you know it's um
1: something maybe a virtual experience of some kind Um, And when thinking of stuff that that's on the you know outside of the ship yeah and you and you and you look in the industry i mean you've got a roller coaster you've got a go-kart track you've got uh, one of the ships has these arms that goes up and it's like an observation and and it's it's gotten kind of crazy when you sail those ships what you realize is that weather prevents you from using the most of the time yeah. and the capacity is so low you end up you know sometimes there's if you're on a ship with 6000 people, you they're never going to there's a high likelihood you're not going to be able to do that, right? So, just like Disney's not in the roller coaster races, you know, oh, Six Flags just built the highest fastest wooden whatever, Disney has never been in that race, you know, they're a different breed. And it's the same way with the ships. Um, you don't want to clutter the deck with a whole bunch of tubes and you know all of this crazy stuff, go karts. Um, so it it really is a fine balance of how do you find innovation in a way that preserves the brand experience uh, outside and in. You know, it doesn't make the ship look sloppy.
0: Yeah, that's very true, um, and it's a good point to bring up as well. Uh, you want to make sure that everyone has the ability to experience these things if they want to and not have to wait all day just to experience that once. Um, One area we haven't talked about surprisingly is the, you know, we talked about dining. We talked about design. We talked about, uh, you know, basic design and the name and um, now areas of activity and play. We haven't talked about sleeping. Um, You know, there's, you know, you're not only paying to board the ship but also sleep on the ship and there are all these different options that are available for staterooms and so how does your team think about the design of the staterooms and if I'm correct I believe that Disney from the very beginning has thought differently about stateroom design compared to other Disney cruise ships I'm sorry
1: to other cruise ships as well that's right yeah for the longest time if my memory serves me right the um, I think this was true of Started with the classic ship, so with um, uh, the magic and the wonder, the staterooms were um, much more generous in size, and the flow was considered, and the interior, of course, was finished in that classic way. It really made ripples in the industry, and uh, the dream and the fantasy followed suit with that there was some really cool technology like the virtual portal inside and of course that was copied just like the names of of the disney ships are copied (laughs) carnival's got a dream and a fantasy and everything (laughs) but um i know it it, for the disney fans everybody giggles because it's like yeah right it's not a disney (laughs) dream uh it's a very different kind of dream Uh, some might say something otherwise but but um uh no there's carnival has fans so but the the state um, maybe I'll answer it like this: When you design a ship, you there's so many confinements, um, and you have to design within a very specific way. So, for example, all of Disney ships are uh, Panama Canal. Um, able. They can pass through the Panama Canal. Some of the larger ships that you see, like Oasis of the Sea, Royal Caribbean, for example, that's called Pan X. It cannot go through the Panama Canal. It's too wide, it's too tall. So because one of Disney's criteria was that all of the ships would need to go through the Panama Canal, that immediately minimized uh, how wide we could be. And I can't tell you how many times we would pull it up and go. Well, can I can I make it this? And well, we have to go a little bit higher, and then we can do. And then there's some bridge somewhere that somebody smarter than me knows in the world that the ships all have to pass under. And there's a limit of height. If you could believe it, in the world there's a bridge and that limits the height of the ship uh, of every ship that goes under it. If you want to go in that space, so we had a maximum height. We had a maximum width. We didn't want to go over a certain weight, et cetera. And what that does is it it, it limits what you can do on board. So we got really scientific on the wish uh, when laying out the staterooms. And not to get too complex, but um, the one of the big problems with the um, Titanic, sorry to bring that up on a cruise discussion, was that there wasn't enough lifeboats for the passengers on board. So one thing that is a Coast Guard requirement is you obviously have to have spaces on lifeboats for everybody on board. So what that does is every deck is broken into zones. When you get on board, you do your lifeboat drill. That's the zone for the lifeboat that you go into. So in uh, some ships, we'll just design the decks with staterooms and put the staterooms however they fit. And what you end up with is, is some strange sized rooms or you may have, for example, tried to book a Disney cruise before, and you saw online that there was a room available that fit four people, and you called them and said, I want my four-member family on that deck, on that room, and they said, I'm sorry, we're only allowed to have two people in that room. And you've gotten frustrated, and you said, what? It says four. I don't understand. The challenges that on and not uh, throwing shade on anybody. Uh, But what I discovered was that those rooms were designed to fit, and sometimes they were done so without consideration for lifeboat capacity. So if you think about it from a business perspective, Disney is not selling two berths in that room because the lifeboat for that particular zone is full with the other rooms. So we took that calculation on the wish, And designed the rooms to uh, maximize, um, you know, you might have a two-person room, a three-person room, a four-person room, and you, you maximized all of that capacity for each lifeboat zone so that you could fill all the rooms. So we're doing good business. And we're not creating frustration for guests when they see a four or five person room and you can book the whole room. So I I think that's really important. We brought um, quite a bit of innovations into the rooms. Um, I don't know how much of that's been talked about, so I'll I'll be a little careful with that. And then I'll also say, um, and you can see all this on the videos of The Wish, that um, I don't know if it's actually said this way, but if you go back and look at those videos, you'll see that there are... Um, different classes of suites now there's a two level suite that's there there's the funnel suite which is there i think it's probably named something really cool now but that was our working title was the funnel suite and um you not only have the roy and walt level but you then have the the the, the uh, double deck two floor and the the suite so some really really great changes there you'll also see some thematic changes to the rooms uh, that are really really fun again that tie back to that overall kind of motif um so it really is the best of disney cruise line
0: so exciting i can't wait for everyone to see it and i know it's coming out this summer um you know assuming that nothing else happens in the world and that it can set sail right. uh, this summer. We have to you put that know. caveat
1: on everything now.
0: <laughs> I do. It's always <laughs> a disclaimer. It's assuming things, even my yeah. own trip, assuming <laughs> things go according to plan. Um, this is this is what my plan is. Um, speaking of plans, I have a, a couple of wrap-up questions. So first up, um, personally, what are you most excited for people to see with the Disney Wish?
1: Um. I that there's you can an uh, talk about <laughs> yeah no I was just thinking I don't think I don't know that I can talk about this because I don't think it's been announced but there's um where we put the 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 children's space that the place for the kids is um I I just think it's so smart it's so connected to where the adults are going to be the access to this kid space and the way that we did that I think I think moms and dads are really going to be. Really super excited about this. Um, what what uh, the innovation that we created with the pools. Um, uh, I have this sketch in my file here of the first time I sketched it. Uh, those of you that may have cruised uh, before, especially with Disney, because there's so many kids, you know that if there is a little one has an accident in the pool, um, they have to drain the entire pool and clean it. And sometimes that takes up to four hours. So you end up with with. But that's the main pool, and there's only one. Um, if you're an adult, you can go to the adult uh, space, and you can you know, kind of laze around in the pool there. But if you're a family, you've just lost access to the pool. So when you look at the videos and everything that have been posted online by Disney about The Wish, you'll see multiple pools that are now at different levels and on different decks. And we designed that very specifically for that Purpose right? There's there's kids and somebody's going to have an accident because that's the way you know kids are. But now you're closing down only one of maybe say five pools, so you still get the interactive fun of playing in the water. There's just in innovations like that 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 I just think people are going to really love. Um, the way that we explored uh, IP on the ship, I think, is super special. I really do believe that uh, the new dining. That's on the ship is going to blow people away. Um, yeah, I, I I have to say I'm pretty excited. I, it's hard to nail down one or two.
0: <laughs> that that's a lot of things, uh, but I mean I, it's hard to <laughs> to best to to just narrow it down to one thing. I know, but that's a great list of things to look forward to. And uh, last question is a personal question. So if you, well, the other one was too, but um, <laughs> where where is your favorite? cruise um you know either port or destination what's your your perfect itinerary for a disney cruise
1: well i my family and i really enjoyed the baltic cruise um uh, that's probably one of my favorite places in the world is when you're in um denmark and sweden and finland and and at the time we were in saint petersburg russia and um we actually, this was quite a few years ago, took a flight from Saint Petersburg into Moscow and got to see Moscow and the subways and all this stuff. There's just, uh, I just love that part of the world, and it was especially magical uh, being with Disney. Every night is themed to the location, so you ended up with Russian dolls or Estonian um, uh, old town, uh, you know, uh, Vikings, and it was just really you know how disney is right they just did it right all the entertainment was that way they had special entertainers from the region that would come on board i think it was a seven day cruise so you'd get regional entertainment from that area that uh kind of matched all the stories and legends of sweden or finland and uh uh it was super fun that was my favorite
0: that's Great, I'll have to add that to my list at some point in the future. (laughs) You know, when I decide to finally take that the Disney cruise, um, and finally take a cruise period, um, then I'll have to I'll have to add that to my list at some point as well. Definitely. Um, But Theron, thanks for chatting with me as always. It's always so much fun. I wasn't sure exactly how how long we could talk about the Disney Cruise Line, but I'm realizing I think we probably (laughs) could have talked even more about it with all the questions that I had. So always appreciate you coming onto the show and why don't you let for those who are watching live or who are listening why don't you let them know where they can go to find you follow you you know interact with you online or anything else you want to plug
1: absolutely um well i i run my own company now it's called the designers creative studio um you can find me on youtube and linkedin and uh, facebook group called uh, the imagineering insider um, I'm also writing a book with a friend of mine called how does Disney do that? And we've started a Facebook page and a website because we're looking for people's stories about Disney um, and about how those experiences made them feel. Um, so you could find me in a, quite a few different places. If I didn't say so, YouTube Instagram uh, as well. If you want to uh, follow me, I, I work hard to try to put out a lot of videos uh, so people can stay uh, in touch and learn about the industry and, um, unfortunately my client list has gotten so, uh, big and busy. I haven't been able to release too many videos recently, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you could find me in all those places.
0: And that's just why I bring you onto the show. So you're forced to sit down and, and create content <laughs> of some kind. If they're imagining exactly. your podcast, at least
1: yeah, people can't see it, but I actually have a shackle on, you know, Matt did that to me. I can't leave until the podcast is over. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, so there, thanks everyone who's watching live
0: for, uh, for watching live and bearing with the tech issues that I had at the start because we're trying a new system, new platforms, and I'm a one man show. So it's really to Something's bound to go wrong one way or another. Um, and Theron, thank you so much for, uh, for joining as well. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. with that, we close out episode 135 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you as always to Theron for coming back to the show. He's been a guest on the podcast so many times and it is always such a pleasure to chat with him about the different areas of Disney that he helped to bring to life and some of his insights about Walt Disney Imagineering and about the Walt Disney Company. I of course want to turn this conversation over to you and hear about your Disney Cruise Line experience. Have you sailed with Disney Cruise Line before and are you planning to take a trip aboard the Disney Wish and if so let me know when. You can send me your answers and feedback as always in many different ways. You can reach out on social media including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast. You can also reach out on Twitter at Imagineer News and of course you can join our Facebook group The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, a place where you can chat not just with me but also with other members of our listener community about this subject and all subjects relating to all things disney if you don't already subscribe to the show make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button whether you're listening on apple podcasts spotify stitcher podbean google podcasts iheart media amazon music or any other podcast app so that you're the first to know when new podcast episodes become available and if you would like a new way to engage with Imagineer Podcast. I have received feedback over the last few years time and time again that you want YouTube. And while I in the past have struggled to find a way to really make this a reasonable way for me to add content um, within a reasonable schedule and make sure that you get the video content that you want, I have decided to just go ahead with it and do my best as I always do with creating that content and bringing it to life for you. So I, w- I would definitely encourage you to head to our YouTube channel, which is just Imagine Your Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash Podcast. I've got a link in the show notes for you as well and encourage you to please hit subscribe. Please share out our YouTube channel and please do watch our video content, hit like, comment on it, whatever you can to help us to reach that monetization status on YouTube, which will help to justify getting new content and in long story short form, really make sure that we can keep the lights on with YouTube. So head there and I would encourage you to reach out if there are any ideas that you would like to see or any particular types of content you would like to see on our YouTube channel. I would also encourage you if you are looking to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level and help support the show at the same time to join our Patreon group, which is over at patreon.com slash imagineerpodcast got a link for you in the show notes there as well. I've got all the links for you in the show notes. And yet that's a way that you can support the show and get extra perks and rewards and content, things like bonus podcast episodes, early access to every podcast episode, private Facebook community, weekly watch parties, and so much more. These terms and conditions are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show, but I would encourage you to see what's currently available again by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. And when you are ready to book your next trip to a Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Aulani, Adventures by Disney, or of course... Disney Cruise Line. I would encourage you to check out our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations, and you can learn more about them by heading to MagicalParkVacations.com. And I've got a link again for you in the show notes below. And you can also work with their sister company, WDW Park Planners at WDWParkPlanners.com to get an extra level concierge-level service in helping to plan out your itinerary for your next Disney vacation. I've personally used WDW Park Planners. They make my life so much easier when it comes to planning a Disney vacation. They alleviate so much stress when it comes to thinking about making sure I'm up at a certain time to book dining reservations and trying to plan out my day and coordinate activity with family members. They really can help to ease a lot of that to-do on your to-do lists and uh, make sure that you get the very best experience on your next Disney vacation. So again, head to MagicalParkVacations.com and www.parkplanners.com to learn more. Last but not least, I would like to encourage you, as I always do, to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be, to make those dreams a reality. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons, if you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
1: the most fantastical, magical things happen. And your wishes really do come true. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing, the joy is never-ending, and the memories last a lifetime. Because when
0: you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Contact Magical Park Vacations to book your Walt Disney World Resort vacation today. Call 585-662-3686 or visit MagicalParkVacations.com.